0: Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma... You may find us at HealingWithWorth.org. Roxanne
1: is the author of Cutting Ties, where she shares her story of betrayal trauma, and With Worth being a group that we specialize in helping women recover from betrayal trauma, whether their marriage makes it or not, and having groups that support women who are working on their marriage and women who are going through divorce. Roxanne seemed like a really good fit to come and share her story and answer some questions. So when I reached out to Roxanne and asked her if she would be willing, she was so kind and we had a great conversation. And after talking to her, I thought, okay, this is exactly who needs to come. And what was kind of fun is after we announced it, Roxanne, I haven't told you this yet, but we had a bunch of different women say, I love her. Like one person, you had cut her hair recently and she's like, she is just amazing. So the the response we had of people wanting to come and listen to you, it's been really tremendous. So without further ado, Roxanne, I will just turn the time over to you, kind of let you introduce yourself, share your story, and then we'll save time at the end if you have questions and we'll just have a question and answer at the end. Okay.
0: All right. Well, then we're just going to get started. And uh, I, I am so excited to be here. When Alana asked me to, to talk with you guys tonight, I just felt like this is exactly where I want to be. No other place where you can find other women who know exactly what you've gone through, what it feels like. And, and here we are tonight. We get to talk about truth, we got to talk we get to talk about hard things and we get to talk about healing which is really the most important part because that's where we find ourselves again and for so long i i didn't share my story i kept my story to myself for way too long and it wasn't until 2012 when i walked into my very first 12 step meeting that i all of a sudden opened my mouth and that was kind of the beginning of really the biggest changes for me when I started connecting with other people who were going through the same thing. Because before that, I thought it was just me. And I thought I was the only one. And so to walk in that room and feel what I felt was life-changing. So for tonight, my my hope, my intent would be that we feel open, that we feel uh, a sense of being able to share. As I talk with you guys, as you think of questions, I I want you to ask them at the end so that we can each learn from each other. And so that tonight we may walk away with something that we hear differently than we have in the past, something that will hit our heart in a way that says, okay, that's going to help me with either some decisions that I need to make in things with my healing, maybe moving forward, maybe with my children, any of it, it doesn't matter. But if we're open and we share, then we're going to be able to meet the needs of so many of us So that's what I'm hoping for. So with my story, as far as walking into that 12-step meeting in 2012, that's not where my addiction story began. That began in 1994. I had just gotten married. I was having the time of my life. We were so in love, so happy. Just I felt like everything was perfect. We spent so much time together until one day I walked in the door from work. I turned on our TV, and it was one of those old ones with the round knobs, and I turned on the TV, and it was stuck in between stations on pornography, and at that moment, I was 22, and I was like, it was like this wave of shock poured over my whole soul, and I thought, what? This is crazy. What, what is going on here? I don't understand this because we're married, and he has me, and we love each other. And at that time, I, I hadn't ever felt anything like it before. And now what I've learned later is that was my first discovery day. And even though it was like this little small thing in comparison to what I found out later with the severity of and progression, I guess, of where my husband's addiction had gone, it was that moment for me where all of a sudden my life wasn't what I thought it was. And, and then all of this stuff came with it betrayal trauma and everything which of course I didn't know what that was either at the time but it felt the same way as it felt later on in life it felt like my heart was racing a lot I would get panic attacks my body would be shaking like my legs I couldn't get him to stop I couldn't stay at work at night or the fear of what he was doing all those things now that I know come with betrayal trauma I was experiencing then but I didn't know I didn't know what to do with it so I kind of went along thinking okay I can do this I can fix him I can fix us we love each other but one thing that stayed the same from that very first day was I never ended up being able to trust my husband again and that was really a really hard weight to carry when things were so good he was great to me most of the time he supported me in what I did he was a good dad over the years and so to try and navigate through how is he such a good dad, yet he keeps making these choices, was was extremely hard, especially when I didn't know about addiction yet at that time. So over the years, every few years, I would find something. And again, I would take on that role of I can do this. I can fix him. I can be cuter. I can be nicer. I can be smarter. I'm going to greet him at the door. I ordered workbooks to try and help us come closer together. I, I basically took on the role of saving him from his addiction and saving our marriage. So it's really quite amazing and fascinating to now be kind of through some of the education of what addiction actually is, what my role is and and be able to see how much help I needed back then that I didn't I didn't have access to. And so over the years that's what happened but in 2012 I had been married at this point for 17 years and that's when I found a bigger proportion. And at that moment, there was this shift in me. I could feel it was as so my higher power is God. And it could, it felt like it was like, you're at a crossroads. You have a choice to make. Are you going to stuff it down and just let it slide and pretend this isn't really happening? Or are you going to open your eyes, accept what truth is and start to do the work? and I could feel it, and at that moment, I couldn't live anymore in that place of that there's nothing wrong. There clearly was something wrong, and so at that point, uh, I went and visited with my church leader, and he was the one who introduced me to the 12-step program, so I started that, and that first meeting when I went in, I was a nervous wreck. I don't know how you guys have felt walking into a first meeting or getting on a first call. It was like, I thought I was gonna jump out of my skin. I, I just thought, what if somebody knows me? What am I gonna say? Can I share stuff? It was, it was just really, really scary. But I did it anyway. I walked in, I sat down. The facilitator for that night, as she began the sharing portion and she started sharing some of her story, I was looking at her and thinking, okay, she's totally light, she's happy. She's sharing these hard things, so she's emotional. She's crying, and I was feeling all these things for her because because I was connecting to what she was saying, yet she was doing okay. And I looked at her, and I was like, I want that. I want to be her. I want to feel like she is. And what was really cool about that night is walking out of that meeting, it was for the first time in 17 years of marriage, I felt hope. And that's where I all of a sudden thought, okay, I'm not the only one. This isn't just me. There's a whole bunch of us out there. I didn't know how many at that time, but it was a start. And it started to build that community of, of people that I could trust. And I could actually share my story because I still hadn't talked to my parents, my family members, nobody else. These people were the only ones who knew. So as I went along, going to 12-step every week, it, a year goes by. I'm now the facilitator. In my group. My husband's now the facilitator in his group. And I'm thinking, we are doing the work, yet at home, things were getting worse. And I kept thinking, how are they getting worse? And I would be like this and I'd be in my closet trying to, like, okay, this doesn't make sense. We're doing the work and it's awful. It's awful here at my house. I would ask him and question him, are you doing okay? Are you not? What's going on? Oh no, I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. Well, So a year goes by in 2013, I felt really like my gut was telling me something's wrong. There, There just is something wrong. I just knew it. And so I told him that he would need to leave. And he professed his innocence and he said all these other things and told me that I needed medication and my inspirations were off. And all those things that when someone's in that addict mode, they, they try to shift your thinking. And, and for whatever reason, I think it was a combination of all the meetings I had done, all the learning I had been receiving, that I started to trust my own instinct. And I said, I'm sorry. I do not believe you. You're going to have to leave. And this was on a weekend. I had family in town. And so I had told him he was going to have to leave on that Monday. Well, there was lots of things that happened during that time. I did write about them in my book. But the key thing was that that day, I was led to my second big discovery, which was really my second real D-Day, if you don't count the one six months into marriage. And I found the history of everything he had been doing the day before. And his addiction had progressed at this point into things that I wasn't even aware existed. I wasn't familiar with the dark world yet. And I was, again, so shocked, so overwhelmed I did not know what to do. And so I took pictures of that that screen of the history. I went along with the day, the family party. And what's so interesting about going to a family party at that point is I'm in this fog and I'm trying to act like everything's okay. And nobody else knows. Yet I'm, I'm totally suffering and I'm just waiting for this night to get over. And I don't know why I didn't have the strength at that point to tell my family, Hey, this is what's going on in my life. I just did not I don't, I don't know if there was too much shame or pride or what it was, but at that time I just wasn't ready. So that night I come home and my husband, we get in bed and he said, I just have some things I want to talk to you about. And he pulls out this list and he starts reading it. And it's all the things that are wrong with me. And he starts reading them off and saying, you know, first you don't call me a liar. I'm sober, things like that, but your inspirations are wrong. You need medication. If you get help, I'll stay with you. And the list went on. And what was so neat is that I was already prepared. I had already been given that, that I guess what I thought was death really saved me because I didn't, I could look at him and go, wow, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen. Addiction robs, a really great person of their life for him to be able to sit in front of me and just say all those things and just lie like that was, was just so sad. I felt really sad for him at that time. So I, I said, okay, all right. I just have a few things to share with you. And he said, okay. And so then I just started reading word for word, every site he went to, all the details, everything. I read every single one. And I said, you will get help or you will leave. And he fell and he started sobbing and he talked about all the issues he was having. And we talked all night. And this is typical, at least in my experience, where over the years, my husband didn't ever come forward. I caught him and I know everybody's situations are different, but for me, I always had to catch him. And then he would humble himself and then he would cry and he'd be like, I'll do the work. I'll do anything. I'm, I'm here. He agreed to go talk to my parents and tell them everything that was going on. And my parents were amazing with them. They offered lots of love. They want him to get the help that he needs. Of course they were sad and all of that. And so I share that with you because it's interesting how the first The first answer I felt or the inspiration I felt was that he needs to leave. He has to get out. And then after that night, after he talked to my parents, I was pondering on that again. And I had a completely different answer that, no, he doesn't need to to leave. He can stay. And what that taught me was, as we are being offered tools in our own recoveries, in our own healing, If we do that, if we're given the chance to do it and we take it and we choose into our healing, sometimes the answer can change. And that's what. So he's giving us opportunities all the time. God, for me, that's my higher power. So that's how I look at it. And so at that point, he chose in. We found our next level of healing, which was counseling. And I had never been to counseling before. I didn't know what I was missing out on. It's the greatest thing. I had no idea. I love it so much. Life-changing, right? And- and so I, we started counseling and, and just, just so you guys know, we did individual counseling because trying to heal a marriage when addiction is in the way is really difficult because addiction needs to be addressed first. So he did counseling for himself. I did counseling for myself and every once in a while we'd meet together and, and do that together. But basically we started into that and that point was where I started learning, oh, I have to heal. I was thinking I was doing 12-step to learn how to help him get over addiction. And I didn't realize until I started going to counseling that, no, now I'm going to learn boundaries. I'm going to learn how to take care of me. I'm going to learn that all these things that are happening, I have to heal from and my husband can't heal me. I mean, it was just, it was really profound. And it felt like this new eye-opening awareness that I had just been given. And so that's what we did. We started counseling. Well, again, a year later, 2014, things are at an all-time low, and I'm floored at how, again, once again, he's doing all his counseling, he's going to 12-step, we're doing all the work, how are things worse? And again, I was told that he wasn't being honest by my intuition and and my gut instinct. And, And at this time, I felt like he needed to go to rehab or he needed to get out. And this was one of the hardest things I had to do. It felt like I was being asked to break up my marriage. It felt like, how can I be asked to, to do something like this? Like, how, how does this even happen? This is just, this is insane to me. And I would go in my closet. I would pray about this. I would get my answer that he needs to leave. I had no proof. I had no evidence at all, nothing. And here I am trying to just trust my gut trust what I'm feeling. And I would come out of my closet and think, okay, I'm going to tell him. And then I'd run back in my closet because how am I supposed to do this? Like, this is way beyond anything I felt like I was capable of doing. I just, thought, this is insane. I'm trying to save my marriage and you're asking me to break it apart. It, it felt like I was being asked to do way too much. But as I kept going back to my higher power and asking, okay, I hear you. I, I want to do this. I just don't know how I need to help doing it. He basically was kind of showing me like, can you live like this another day? Or are you willing to take the step in the dark with trusting that I'll light the path in front, which he had me do that a lot. I, I had to walk blindly quite a few times before the path would kind of illuminate for me. And I just had to learn to trust myself and trust that I was doing the best I could. And I didn't do it perfectly at all. I, I really didn't, but I, but I was trying. And that was that was really the point. So I did, I told him that he would need to go to rehab or he'd need to get out. This was on a Monday. And he said, no way, I'm sober, you're crazy. There's no way, I'm gonna choose divorce and I'm gonna tell the kids next Monday. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of weird. Next Monday, like a week. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. We've got a week, we've got a week to do this. And I called in our families for a prayer intervention. I'd never done anything like this. And I was like, you guys, we are going to throw all this out there. We are going to try and save this person. And so that's what we did. And I felt inspired to not say one word to him at all the whole week. And I didn't, we did not say one single word to each other. So Sunday night comes and I'm in my closet distraught. I'm thinking nothing's changed, nothing at all. It is awful in my house. You can feel it. It's the tension is so high. And I have these four kids and I'm just thinking, this is so insane. I'm on my closet floor and I'm heartbroken. I was, I felt, and I'm sure you guys understand this, so much of these three years at this point, I felt like I could die. There were times where I could not, I could barely get myself in bed and I would have to put my hands like this and breathe so softly because I thought, honestly, I just, I'm so heartbroken. I don't even know how I'm going to do this. But that particular night, I'm in my closet just saying, how is this possible? How can one person's decisions affect an entire family of good people? How does this even happen? And I'm, I'm sitting there on my floor and I hear my phone buzz and I look at it and it's a text from my brother. And he says, don't worry. Angels are on their way. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I just felt this, this peace wash over me. And I'm like, okay, I, I can, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. I get in my bed. And a couple minutes later, my husband starts talking and he just starts talking, talking, talking. He comes down out of the pride, like just down, down, down to this hum- humble state. And he agrees to go to rehab. It was miraculous. It was crazy. It was just like, what in the world? Now he was still professing his sobriety, but he agreed to go to rehab. And I call my brother the next day. And I'm like, what was that? What, is, what was going on? He said, I was in brushing, brushing my teeth. And all of a sudden I hear, your sister needs you. And he said, I jumped and I grabbed my wife and my mom was there visiting at the time. And I grab her and I think, I say to them, you guys, you guys, this is it. We have to pray for her like we have never prayed before. And so it was, I felt that peace that happened. My husband agreed to go to rehab. When he got out of rehab, I told him about the prayer intervention. I told him about my brother and that situation. He said he felt it. He said he had made a pact with himself that Monday before that he was never going to change, that he was just going to go in this, just die in this. And that's what it was going to be. So it was so amazing. So he makes it to rehab. That's all positive. I'm thinking we are on top of the world. Here we are, we're going along. And in rehab, I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with where they have to write their disclosure, which is everything in their past history that they've, that they've done. So he's writing that, in rehab. And during that same time, I found his secret life while he was gone, which included things that were way beyond uh, anything I had experienced before. And the infidelity that I found in ways that were, I just, I just wasn't expecting it. And his addiction had progressed over those last couple of years, way more than I knew. And so it was really heartbreaking but there's some really cool things that happen when, when you hear stuff like that, for me anyway. One of the things I heard was a truth about something that I, I didn't realize had happened. So the year before, we had decided that I needed a re- reprieve. Every day I would wake up with this swirl of anxiety. Every day I would go to sleep with a swirl of anxiety. And I could, it was not functioning. The triggers were too big. I didn't know that he was still struggling. I thought he was sober. And so I was thinking, something's wrong with me and I cannot, I can't get past this and I don't know how to do this. And so I had asked him if he would consider doing a kind of like a sabbatical. He would go somewhere for a couple of weeks, work on recovery, and I would have the reprieve and work on my recovery in my own house. And he thought that was great. His counselor thought it was great. We had it all planned. We would drop him off at this mountain area and in this cabin and we took all the precautions i i bought this lockbox we put the tv controller in there his phone his keys uh, i don't know whatever else and we bought him a track phone and we decided that he would just do all his recovery stuff and then at the end of the time i would call him on the track phone and give him the code to the lockbox and then you know we would we would meet back up well halfway through my daughter broke her arm and she had to have surgery. And so we called the track phone and so he could talk to her and he gets on the phone with me and he says, I am having the best time, the most amazing spiritual experiences. I love you so much. And he's bawling and he's just sharing his, his heart of all these things he had learned. And I, on the other hand, on the other end was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I felt like so, okay, this is why, this is why we had to do this. This is amazing. I felt so good. So a year later, when he's reading me his disclosure, I find out that before he left on that trip, he went through my drawers and he found the code to the lockbox. And that out of all of the things that had happened was the most shocking. It felt the most traumatic almost because here he was telling me those things. I didn't even ask him what he was doing on his trip. And he's telling me just so easily all these things that weren't even true. And that moment broke my heart because I thought, what am I doing? And, and who is this person?
2: We would like to thank our sponsor, Men of Moroni a Christ-centered support group for men overcoming sexual misbehavior, including addiction to pornography. Menomoroni, part of Life Changing Services, helps to fund worth so we can offer free therapeutic group healing to women suffering from betrayal trauma. If you know someone who could benefit from their services, go to their website, lifechangingservices.org. Now back to our show.
0: Rehab was amazing. I picked him up out of rehab. I, The counselor said to me, if he chooses into recovery, all of these things that he has done, all these things that are part of his addiction won't be. They, that won't be something that he'll want to do. He will, when you choose recovery and living that way, you, you just abhor everything you've done. You don't want to live that way anymore. And I'm like, okay, okay. I, I, I like that. I can do that. And I I gave my husband a year to choose in recovery. Oh, before that though, the reason I told you the story about the sabbatical is that when I found out that he had not been truthful for a minute, I got scared and I was stressed and I was thinking, who do I trust? Because God let me, let me have him do this. He told me to have the reprieve and then this is what happens. And then my husband's not telling the truth. And so how does this all work? But, But what's so cool is that God already knew that my husband wasn't sober. He already knew he was acting out on a regular basis and doing whatever he was doing. And he knew I was dying. I really felt like I was. And so he was giving me the reprieve. It didn't matter at this point if my husband was sober or not. That, That sabbatical was for me. He was taking care of me. So there's all these good things that come from all the hard stuff. It's, it's been amazing. It, it's the same with the other story with with when I found all the stuff on the screen and he came to me with that list of things that are wrong with me. It's like all of those things feel like terrible goodness. It's like it's terrible. And then if the person chooses into healing and recovery, then there's these amazing blessings. And that's where we grow and learn. That's where I would find my healing. That's where I could start learning to trust myself and and all of that. So, but after rehab, I picked him up and he was living his recovery life and, and trying to do the things, but he didn't, he didn't stick with, with the list that he got from his counselor. And so I was still in my time of trying to get through the triggers. I had just learned months before his disclosure. So there was new things on there now that I'm trying to work through. And his counselor had told him, probably things you've heard too, that, okay, when she's having trauma or triggers, this is how you would help her. I'm so sorry that that happened. I'm so sorry I put that, that on you. What can I do to help you today? Things like that. And so I came to him with one. I was feeling nervous about honesty. And so I said, I just need you to, I just need you to tell me something that's truthful. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter from when. It doesn't matter it's about. It doesn't even have to be about addiction. Just tell me something honest. And he's like, no. And I'm like, you know, like it starts raising, you know, those feelings when they just get higher and higher. And maybe you're feeling them right now, as I'm telling you this, I don't know, but it's a raising. I'm like, Hey, no, no, no. I I need you to, I need to tell me something honest. Just tell me something truthful. And he's like, no, I'm not telling you anything. And that's when I start going through the roof. And I'm like, Yelling, I'm seriously screaming. I'm like, You tell me, you tell me something truthful right now. And he's like, I will never, I will never tell you the truth. So that's where I got. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I left his space and I, I got up in my closet. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, like just like that. You know, those feelings, I'm sure. You know, when you feel so distraught. And I was losing it, you guys. I definitely was having my moment of not using my own boundaries. Not, I definitely spiraled out out of control. And I'm sitting there in my closet and I look over and all of his neckties are hanging across the closet bar. They are perfectly in line, color coordinated, nothing out of place. And I looked at those ties as if they were mocking me. Like this life is not perfect. And that is a lie and nothing's perfect here. And I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to cut them. So I did, I went in, I took some scissors out of my bathroom. They were like two inches, little tiny scissors. And I just cut and cut and cut and cut. And I just poured all the hate and anger and bitterness and resentment, everything I had into those, those ties, those cuts. And it was done. And I look over and I breathe this sigh of relief. But then I fell to the ground and I felt, I felt more broken than I had before. I just felt so distraught. How am I here? How is this my life? How did I just do something so utterly crazy uh, out of my normal who I am? How did this happen? And I felt defeated, for sure. I definitely felt defeated. But two days later, I was on the treadmill, and I was trying to process through how I let myself get to this point where... I let someone else's choices, someone else's, you know, actions make me feel like I could do something crazy. And as I'm thinking that through, all of a sudden I see it and I see the front cover of the book. I see the name of the book. It's called Cutting Ties. And the first chapter just speeds through my mind. And it's this story of me cutting the ties. And that's exactly I don't know if you guys can see it. Can you see, can you see that cover? Okay, so that right there is the red, so that's actual footage of the ties. They are, I don't know if you can tell, but because they were such small scissors there, it's just like a one or two inch notch in each tie. So they didn't come all the way apart, which is really cool because this is me. Those ties are me. I feel broken when I'm going through some of these hard things, yet I'm not all the way lost. I I still am attached. I'm still partially hanging on, and I, I'm going to heal, and that's what those those ties are basically literal, and you know they actually mean actually cutting ties from things that we don't need in our lives anymore. So that happened in the fall of 2014, and after that, things just didn't ever really uh, get better. He his behaviors were not in line with what felt good to me for recovery. I think he was sober at the time, but he was unkind. He was mean. We ended up separating in January of that, that following January, an in-house separation. I, I, w- I started to look at it and let go. So this is another thing that I learned. I, I got to that place where I had to stop trying to manage him and stop trying to look at his phone. Stop waiting at the bathroom door to hear if I hear him acting out. Stop, just let go. And if he's going to do it, he's going to. I needed to see for sure if he was going to choose into recovery. I needed to know he was going to choose it because he wanted it, not because I was trying to make him or him basically not telling me the truth anyway. I, I needed to know. And it came down to these different points. As I was as I was stepping away, I was learning how to see really clear. The red flags, I could see them so much easier when I wasn't (laughs) grasping for my life trying to hang on. I had to let go of what I thought our family should look like. I had to let go of thinking if we lose this family, then, then something bad will happen to my kids. That it's better to stay like this in something unhealthy for me because of my kids, when, when, as I learned, that was actually uh, not what I was supposed to do. My kids were feeling all of these things. They knew there was stuff that was wrong. And so when I did end up choosing divorce, so basically I waited out that year, just like I had told him, he didn't choose into recovery. And so we did decide to let him go back in 2015, but it was, it was really a, a decision I came to that felt I felt calm and peaceful, not, not uh, void of fear. All the decisions I had to do, I had a lot of fear and I had to do them anyway. I had to do the scary stuff anyway. And it, it turned out okay. I was talking to my daughter who lives in North Carolina right now. She's 20. I was talking to her yesterday and she said that she had met somebody that her family is in this situation right now. And she doesn't know if her parents are gonna make it or not. But she was asking her, did it feel, what did it feel like? Did it feel okay that your parents got divorced? Did it, did it like what, you know, all that kind of stuff. And she said, you know what? I mean, yeah, there's things that are, are always sad about them. She goes, but the feeling in our home once he left was so different. And she said that was amazing to be able to feel the difference. Once we had that sort of energy and behavior out of our home. Now, I would have loved it if he would have chosen into recovery. I would have loved it for my family. The way I saw it in my mind was we were going to do this and we were going to go help people and we were doing this together and we were going to make it to the end. But in my case, I was the one that was fighting for it and he wasn't. And for me, that just felt impossible to keep living a life of trying to make someone do something they didn't want to do. And it came down to that. And that's exactly, that's even what he said. He said, you can fast and pray all you want, get family members to pray and our kids to pray, but it comes down to me making the decision and I don't want to. And so I breathed a sigh of like, okay. And I started looking into how do I make it through this? How do I help my kids make it through this? And one thing early on that I talked to them about was, was, everybody's agency, everybody has a choice. Nobody gets to decide for somebody else. And just because this is what their dad was deciding didn't mean that their efforts, their love, their prayers didn't work. They did. They, were, they worked. They worked for them. They worked in giving them the peace they needed. And in knowing that they weren't alone, even though the outcome wasn't exactly what they wanted, it still was exactly the way it was supposed to be and basically that's been now that many years years ago four years ago and here we are five now and here we are and thriving and doing well and and my kids my kids are my youngest is 16 and they'll they'll all tell you that even though it's hard they are grateful they're grateful that they were able to learn what they needed to that they could see truth that they weren't being lied to as far as me telling them no nothing's wrong and their body's telling them that something is wrong they they were like wow this makes so much sense now and they are able to see things and now when they are in relationships they can start looking for the red flags and notice them as well so that is a lot of different things I think at this point now I think we'll just open it up to any questions you guys have I do want to cover anything you need help with healing or if any of these stories
1: left kind of
0: spinning if I didn't end up bringing you down into what the good parts were of those stories, then please ask me any questions that you want.
1: Roxanne, I want to ask you, how did you get strong enough to the point that you were able to really enforce these boundaries? Because it sounds like you had a ton of gaslighting, a ton of crazy-making, yet you were still able to find that strength. Where did that come from?
0: It came from the continuous work. So I went to my 12-step meetings every week. For a while, I was going to two. And I also did my counseling every week. I also had a women's group. So I had my supportive friends to talk things through. And I I think I got to that point of being able to set the boundary like that. Like, I'm sorry, I do not believe you. This is what will happen. I think I got to that point because I had already practiced sometimes not listening and seeing where that went. And then when I would do it, even though it was scary, the result after I felt
1: better. And so it was just practice, practicing, doing it. I didn't do it, do it right all the time. So kind of building off of that, you also talked about one of your examples. You said that your intuition told Mm -hmm. you he was still acting out. You had no proof. And so often when we go through this betrayal trauma, we've spent so many years kind of turning that intuition off and shutting it down and kind of Mm -hmm. just blocking ourselves to it it gets really hard to trust our own intuition and to hear it. So would you mind just talking a little bit kind of of that process of learning to trust your intuition? Because that must've taken a lot of courage.
0: It it took a lot of self reflection. I, I really had to look deep and start looking at myself. I couldn't just look at addiction Here, I was learning all these things. I was learning words like gaslighting and and what was happening. I was learning for the first time that I was actually abused. I didn't even realize that I was being abused. So to to learn about gaslighting and and all that manipulation and the, the lies, I had to realize and actually accept that I had been in this marriage for my entire adult life, being fed this way. Therefore, I had to realize that my thinking was probably not clear or necessarily right so I had to be aware and open and let my pride go of even though it feels like I know what I'm thinking is is right it might not be and so a lot of counseling to help me unravel the damage that had been done because in my situation my husband was the best dad he was so supportive of everything I did like overly supportive I just thought I have the best husband in the world and I'm sitting in counseling so So I'm sitting counseling going, so, but he's such a good guy. He's so this, he's so great. And the counselor would say, okay, I'm going to stop you there for a minute. And he, we were both in this session. He's like, were you being a good husband and father when you were making these choices? And he's like, no, basically he was showing me that that's manipulation. He would do something over here and act out. And then he would say, well, I am a good dad. So I'm going to put my addiction over here and I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be super loving to make up for the fact of what he had just done. And so the counselor started showing me that's manipulation. He was overly being this way to make my reality feel like I didn't know what I was talking about. So I had to start looking at that and what is true. I did not want to accept that my husband wasn't a good father and a good husband. That was really hard for me to come to that place of saying, you know what? He probably actually isn't as good as I thought a lot of it was manipulation and so I had to come to that place and by doing that and unraveling my belief system I could start recognizing wait a second every time I have trusted my gut instinct it's pretty much been right on and so I just had to start practicing kind of blindly in a way you have to kind of almost go okay I'm scared but I'm going to trust myself this time and I'm just going to go for it and if, if something happens then it's a
1: mistake. And And I'll fix it later. Thank you for that. Thank you. So it looks like we're just about out of time. So would you mind just kind of sharing your final thoughts, but also as you're doing that, just you had mentioned earlier about how you had felt calm and peaceful, but not void of the fear. Mm -hmm. And so much of working through this betrayal trauma, fear seems to be like central, central in our every single day. And so if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit more about kind of getting to the place where you could step into the fear, but how you fell to that calm and the peace amid, amid all of that fear.
0: Right. So as I was really listening to my true self of what I needed in my life, it was like we've heard before, but it's kind of like you're walking this path and there's fire all around you. And you're getting singed a little bit but you're not getting burned you can still walk so that's kind of how everything felt like oh my gosh i'm in this fire how am i going to not get burned so it was scary and fearful but i kept walking so the fear is the fear comes from that place of of nowhere good right so so that is the main issue of why it's hard for us to move forward, why it's hard for us to make the hard decisions, why we, we don't leave if we should, because we fear our kids. So fear is a huge driving force on keeping us stuck in whatever, whether it's our own healing or whatever it is. So for me, I just I had to study that. I had to study why am I so fearful? What am I actually afraid of? The outcome sometimes would send me through the roof. The what if. Well, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if, you know, that can can make me crazy. So I would take it to counseling, of course, work on it. I also did a lot of energy work to clear those kinds of thoughts and, and patterns that helped me. But ultimately, I had to really look at what fear is and why I'm letting it drive me. Because ultimately, I'm not doing anything good when I'm in that fearful place. If I let it, if I just stay in it. So I had to just get to that place of saying, I, this fear is going to kill me and nothing's going to change. Do I want to live in this forever like this, these same patterns over and over, the same cycle over and over, or am I going to challenge this fear and move forward anyway, do it anyway? And so it came to that place where I did enough work, prayed a lot, cried a lot, yelled a lot, yelled at God a lot. And until I was like, okay, the fear is not going to go away when I have to make this hard decision. And, and people sometimes mistake that for it must not be the right decision for me to do this because I'm fearful. If it was the right decision, I would feel total peace. But that's not necessarily true. You can know what the right answer is, and you can be scared to death to do it. And it's because it's the unknown. When, when we don't know what's ahead, we get scared to do it. But that's just how it is if, if God gave us the whole picture if he said here's the finished thing if he would have told me this is what you're going to go through this is what you're going to find in his addiction then you're going to find this and then this and then he's going to leave because he's not going to take recovery then you're going to be divorced I mean if you'd have told me all that that would have been too much for me I would not have even known how to handle that we think we want the whole picture but honestly one little thing at a time Us taking that scary, scary, fearful step as slow as we do, whatever, just take the step. And then he'll just keep giving us things. There's always a tool. There's always the next person that comes in and tells you exactly what you need to hear. The next quote that you see, the next podcast you listen to, there's always something he's gifting you all the time. So even when you're alone, if you actually open your eyes and look around, you'll be like, oh, that person said this exact thing I needed to hear or that question that was just asked was exactly what i needed. That's a gift and that's the tool and that's helping you move forward and kind of into that fear and just embracing it and just just going for it. It's just practice. Honestly, there's not really a right way. You just got to keep going.
1: That was beautiful. Any last thoughts before we close up?
0: Well, i don't know. I've loved being on here and and visiting with you guys. I guess i would tell you that there really is hope and healing. There absolutely is an end to the tunnel that you come out. There is freedom. I absolutely feel whole. There are things I still always have to work on. There's things that I have to notice about myself. I fall into old patterns sometimes, but I feel whole and I never thought it was possible. I thought I would live with that pain for the rest of my life, that it would just be something I'd have to carry. And that's absolutely not true. If you do the work and you keep meeting with your groups and you keep getting the help you need and not just getting the help, but actually doing what's being asked of you,
1: you're going to be okay. You will. Thank you. And you can get Roxanne's book on Amazon, Cutting Ties. You can also follow her um, on social media, Instagram and Facebook and Healing with Worth if you'd like more information on worth. And I think that's about it for tonight. If you have any additional follow-up questions, um, you can find Roxanne on social media and you can yep. shoot those her way. And thank you for attending tonight. Thank you again. Thank you for coming you. And sharing of yourself and your story tonight.
0: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Okay, we will see you all later.
2: Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, to enroll in a therapist-led support group or to check out our blog. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or wherever you may listen, or simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode because you are worth it.